Well, we're jumping back into our series uh, in the book of Genesis uh, this morning, and um, the, the culture around us can be compared to a giant wave out on Lake Ontario or, or out in the ocean. Uh, a wave can be very forceful. It can be very powerful. A wave can gain a lot of momentum and a lot of speed, and it's easy to get caught up in a current or to be caught up in a wave. It's, it's, it's sometimes frightening. You can be afraid that you're going to drown in this massive wave, and so much of what is happening in our world uh, politically and socially and culturally as it relates to, to sexuality, as it relates to ethics, as, as it relates to identity, as it relates to race, as it relates to a, any number of categories, that there seems to be this massive wave that seems to be getting bigger and bigger and gaining momentum, and more people are being carried away by it. And, and the church, in many ways, many churches seem to be going along with this wave, and a wave can seem so powerful until it hits a rock. Because a wave does not have substance. A wave is something that is liquid, something that is transparent, something that can flow this way or flow that way. A wave can seem big and strong and powerful, but very quickly a wave disappears. And when a wave crashes into the rock of reality, everything changes. And our aim in this series in the book of Genesis is that when the wave crashes into the rock, because reality always hits and sometimes reality bites, we as a church want to make sure that when the inevitable happens, when the wave crashes into the rock, when all of the momentum of our culture finally runs into reality, we want to make sure that we are founded on the rock and not carried away by the wave. And so that's what we are aiming to do in this very long series in the book of Genesis. Uh, the book of Genesis begins in chapter 1 with this powerful God who speaks the universe into existence. And he's a generous God. He, he gives Adam and Eve life and he gives Adam and Eve one another. He gives them a garden filled with trees. He says, eat any of the fruit that you want. He gives them dominion. He gives them his blessing. All God does is give. But Adam and Eve, rather than receiving what God gives, they chose to take what God restricted. And they chose to take what only can belong to God, the knowledge of good and evil. And so there was fruit, and there was nakedness, and there was shame, and there was a curse. But there was also a promise that one of their offspring was going to crush the head of the serpent who slithered into the garden. And so as we're reading Genesis, we're, we've got our eyes on the, on the offspring. And the, the, the first offspring, it doesn't really go so well. Those two brothers, Cain and Abel, and, and uh, Abel dies, and Cain, it can't be him. He's a, he's a murderer, and he's cursed as well. And then as the offspring continue to be born, we, we see that every intent of every man's heart is only evil continually. So then in the days of Noah, God 
has Noah build an ark, and he establishes creation 2.0. He starts over. He, starts, he covers the whole world with the deep again. And then the, the, the land emerges as the water resides. And then it, it, it's, God does for Noah what, what, he had, what he had done for Adam. He gives him stipulations about what he's allowed to eat. He pronounces blessing on him. But with Noah and Adam, it's the same role, just a different actor. And we have fruit, and we have sin, and we have shame, and we have nakedness, and we have a curse. And so we see this cycle being established. And then it gets even worse as, as the people refuse to spread and fulfill the, the creation mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. They stay in one place. They want to build a tower to bring glory to themselves. And God dispels them. They all st start speaking different languages and different nations are established. And then out of this nation, God calls, sorry, out of these nations, God calls a man named Abram, who has no children, and God says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give you a land that I'll show you. I'm going to give you offspring, and I'm going to give you my blessing. But again, it's the same role, different actors. Abraham, or Abram at the time, he's promised land, and he shows up in the land, and things get tough. There's a famine. He leaves the land. And he goes to Egypt. He almost squanders the blessing of the land. He puts his own wife, who's supposed to bear his offspring, into the arms of another man, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He almost messes up the whole thing. And then his wife gets the idea that it's not going to happen with her. She's not going to be able to bear the promised offspring. So she has her husband commit adultery with her handmaid, Hagar. And again, there is sin as it relates to the land, or sin as it relates to the offspring. And now they have this son, Ishmael, who's not the promised son, not the promised offspring. But God showed up to Abraham, changed his name, gave him promises, and then gave him the sign of circumcision. And he made it clear, no, Abraham, your wife Sarah is going to bear you a child. So when we paused for the summer in the Genesis series, it was in Genesis chapter 17, a sermon about circumcision. Not always a great place to cut, but we had to cut somewhere. And, and now we're re... I've been sitting on that for like three months. And uh, now... Now we're in Genesis chapter 18. Now, Genesis chapter 17 and Genesis chapter 18 for us is only separated or is separated by several months. But uh, in both of these chapters, God says this time next year. So these conversations that Abraham is having with God, there, there might be days, maybe weeks apart. God had made the promise to Abraham. He had given him the sign of circumcision. Abraham had acted on that. But now God is going to appear again. And I think it's because God wants to make sure Sarah understands what's happening. And so uh, the title for today's message is, Is Anything Too Hard for the Lord? 
And, and that's what God says about himself in this passage, that this miracle-working, all-powerful creator has come near into Abraham and Sarah's life, and he wants them both to know and embrace and believe and live like nothing is too hard for the Lord. And, and the miracle-making, all-powerful creator God has come near to you and to me, has come near to us, and he wants us to respond to his presence in faith and to trust that nothing is too hard for him. So today we're going to talk about uh, two uh, responses to who God is. And so if you're taking notes today, jot this down. Responding to God's presence. Responding to God's Presence. Verse 1 of chapter 18 says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. The, the Lord appeared. His presence is, is made manifest. God appeared. It says that Abraham was there at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham is in the promised land, but notice he doesn't possess the promised land, he's still in a tent. My family, we were visiting Nova Scotia and, and Cape Breton this summer. We did not possess that land. We, we, were just, we were in a tent. We were just going from one campsite to another. We were in a temporary dwelling. Abraham is in a temporary dwelling. He hasn't seen the fulfillment of the promise of the land yet. He's living in a tent. And as he's Relaxing there, having a siesta in the heat of the day, it says he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Notice that he doesn't see them walking from a long way off. I think there's some people coming. No, it's almost as though all of a sudden, these, these three men appear. Notice how verse 1 says it's, the Lord who appeared, but Abraham sees three men. Look down at verse 9. When, when Matthew was reading this, did you notice that in verse 9 it says, They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And then verse 10 it says, The Lord said. And the narrator is going back and forth. There's three, there's one, there, he said, they said. There's a little bit of pronoun confusion here, it seems like, in this passage. What, what is going on? Now, some theologians believe that this is, this is the Trinity. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all appearing here in this moment. I think that might be taking it a little bit too far. I think it's a picture of the Trinity. If you look down at chapter 19, verse 1, it says that then the two angels went on their way. So we know for sure that two of them are angels, and one, the, 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 the one was probably the angel of the Lord, who when, when, when the angel of the Lord speaks, it's as though the Lord himself is, uh, is speaking. So this isn't necessarily the Trinity, but it's, it's a picture of, of, of the Trinity, of the triune God. Notice Abraham's response. How do we respond to God's presence? Verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. 
and bowed himself to the earth. He ran. Ancient Near East culture. Old men do not run. I wish that were true of our culture, you know? I find myself running all the time. Sometimes I even run recreationally. What is wrong with me? But I'm an old man. But Abram was a very old. He's 99 years old at this point. And he starts hoofing it. He sees there's something. There's some, these three men just appear some seemingly out of nowhere. I need to, So he starts running. And then, so he brings shame really upon himself. In order to bring honor to the Lord, he has to make himself culturally look foolish. And Christians, we got to wake up and understand this. In order for God to look great, we are going to have to look foolish in our culture. It, it, it is unavoidable. And so Abraham laces up his brooks and he starts moving. And then he bows down. And he postures himself in such a way to bring honor to this visitor or to these visitors who represent the very presence of God. So responding to God's presence, how do we do it? It begins, but we we honor him. We honor him. So culturally speaking, in, in Abram's culture, that him bowing like that and him running like that was a way for him to show Honor. Different cultures have different ways of showing honor. We've got to understand that when we are in God's presence, it's not about us. It is about Him. He bowed down. He got low. You see, this is one of the challenges for, for us as a church family, is how do we show honor to the Lord? Because uh, we, we come from many different cultures and many different backgrounds, and so the way that you honor someone in one culture is, is different from how you honor someone in, a, in another culture. We also, as a church family, try to, try to have a a come-as-you-are kind of approach to the faith. We, we don't want people to think that they can't come to church unless, you know, they have a fancy suit on or a, or a beautiful dress and seem to have it all together. We want, we want people to feel like, come, as, come just come. come. It's, it's the Lord. Come. But, but the danger, so we, we try to create a somewhat casual, accepting environment, but, but sometimes I, I, I'm afraid that we communicate into sort of a subtext. People read between the lines in that, you know, because people dress this certain way or because the songs are more contemporary or things seem more casual, that, that the people at Hope Church, they don't take the Lord seriously, 
And that's dangerous. We got to be aware of that. We need to be aware of the fact that we come from different cultures and we think about honor in different ways. But we also need to understand that in trying to create an environment where people can feel welcome and they don't feel like they have to clean themselves up in order to come to the to to come before the Lord, because Jesus has made it possible for us to clean ourselves up on the inside. We don't want to be whitewashed tombs. We don't want to be clean cups on the outside that are dirty on the inside. We're an inside-out church, not an outside-in church. But we need to be really careful that we're not too casual in how we're approaching the Lord. When we think about when we arrive to come to church, when, when, when we think about our posture or our level of focus while we're singing or while the Word of God is being preached, when we think about taking in our hands the symbols of the body and, and the blood, we, we need to make sure, again, a question that we should be asking ourselves is, is this honoring to the Lord? Is what we're doing as a broader community, is it honoring to the Lord? Are there changes that we need to make in the way that we do church in order to bring honor to the Lord? And then are there personal things that we bring that aren't honoring to the Lord. I, I, I grew up in a very liturgical, traditional church, standing up, kneeling, the, the people at the front all wearing robes and candles. It was all very formal, but it was very empty. And then I, I, I became a Christian at, at a summer camp, right? And so the, the guy teaching the Bible is, is just using slang language and wearing shorts, so, you know, cut off jeans and sandals and wearing a baseball cap backwards. And, and it was very casual. And so we, we all have different experience. I met the Lord in both of those places. And we, we, need, to, we need to understand that honoring the Lord, God is here with us. We, we sung about it this morning. We're gathered in his name. We're asking him to reveal his glory to us. And are we ready to honor him? Then Abram asks in verse 3, he, say, he said, Oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. So responding to God's presence is we got to honor him. But we also got to serve him. We've got to serve him. Abram uh, uh, immediately, as he, I get, we're guessing, we're assuming here that he's still bowing down before these three visitors. And he says, listen, I, I know you can't, I know I'm not the end destination here. You must be moving on to something else more important. But while you're here, he, he says, I'm your servant. That, that's how he describes himself. I am here to serve. And that needs to be our mindset. That, that, that because God is real and because God has come near, we must be ready to honor him. And we must be ready, we must be ready to serve him. He knows his role. Abraham, listen, Abraham doesn't do what we so often do. Oh God, I honor you. I'm so glad that you're here. Now come on over here, God, and help me with this relationship I'm trying to uh, develop. Help me over here with, come on God, help me over here with my career. Bless this with my finances. So often we honor the Lord, but we expect that God is somehow here to help us do our thing. God's not here to help us do our thing. 
We're here to honor him and to serve him in doing his thing. It's about him. So he promises this, uh, th- th- this, this morsel of bread. And then, <laughs> and then look at what he, what he does. They tell him at the end of verse 5, do as you have said. Abraham went quickly into, the guy's never moved so fast in his life, went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour. So a seah is about seven and a half liters. So three of them is about, uh, you know, 20 or 25 liters of fine flour, not just everyday flour, but the best flour that they have. 20 liters are those, you know, those big water cooler uh, jugs, those blue jugs. That, that's about tw- 19 liters, okay? There's three guys. Again, I'm not, a, I'm not a baker. I've never baked bread. I had to go to the internet to find, but how much? We're looking at 35 to 40 loaves of bread for three guys. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Sorry. Dad, 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 uh, really bad dad jokes are, are free of charge. That's not going to make it in the 1130 service. All right. He promises a morsel. I'll see if I have a scrap somewhere that I can divide between the three of you. And then he, he brings them all, ten loaves of bread each. He goes on, verse 7, and Abraham ran. He ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good. Not just any calf, a tender one, a good one. And gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk. All, he promised a morsel. Now they're getting 40, piece, 40 loaves of bread. They're, they're, they're getting a calf and curds and milk. He, he's, he's doing what so many people in this church are guilty of. I know, I know that... Many of us have been invited over to a, to a friend's house in the church. And we're just going to have something simple. Just, just, just come on over. I don't even know what we're going to. I, I, it's just a craft dinner or something like that. Just come on over. Come on over. We're just, and then you get there and the food just keeps. And there was craft dinner, but there was also a whole lot of other stuff. This is just a, a beautiful picture of, of hospitality, isn't it? That. Abram, Abraham, is, is recognizing that God is present, and so he is going to pour on the hospitality. He is going to make sure that these people are welcomed. And this is what we're called to do. I mean, it's, it's all over the... Uh, the New Testament, Romans 12, uh, verse 13, 1 Peter 4, 9, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, uh, show hospitality to one another without a grumbling. Uh, Tim and Dinesh and Chris Carr are all being considered as elder candidates right now. As you're studying, I hope you are looking at the qualifications for elders and looking at, the, at these men. One of the qualifications is hospitality. Do they make strangers feel welcome? Do they welcome people into their, uh, into their homes? 
I love how the author of Hebrews talks about this particular story. He says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That, that, that we, we don't know, when, when someone comes knocking on our door, when we meet someone at church and invite them into our homes, that that, that person may be a, a messenger from the Lord, that person could be an angel, that this, is, that this has happened. This is probably describing Genesis chapter 18. So notice here that Abraham wasted no time. He's running Verse 6, Abraham went quickly. He told Sarah, quick. He, verse 7, he ran out into the field. He had the young man prepare it quickly. Again, these words, ran, quick, quickly, running. He wasted no time. And we need, again, we need to be really careful when it comes to serving the Lord. There needs to be a sense of urgency Again, we, we try to have a casual, pressure-free church family. If you don't want to serve, you don't have to serve. If you don't want to give, you don't have to give. But again, we're, we're trying to create that kind of environment because we want people to be responding to the power flowing within, not the pressure flowing from the outside. But again, the danger is that, well, I guess it's, I guess it's not that important. And so there's an opportunity to serve, but we just kind of drag our feet. Like, here's a, I guess I can take that first step class or, or fill out that form. And, and where's the sense of urgency? This is a 99-year-old man running around because he wants to be able to serve the Lord in our, in our family, in our community, in our workplace. Here at Hope Church, there are opportunities to serve the Lord. And this 99-year-old guy is putting us to shame, isn't he? He wasted no time. And then also, he spared no expense. He spared no expense. He gives three guys, 35 to 40 loaves of bread made with fine flour. He, he took the, be, the, the calf that was tender and good. He added curds and milk. Loved ones, are we giving God the very best of our resources? Uh, when it comes to our finances, are, are we giving to God out of our first fruits or are we just giving whatever happens to be left over, whatever we found between the couch cushions? Are we giving him our very best? When, we, when it comes to our time, is, is our time with the Lord, our prime time, is that our best time or is our devotional time or our prayer time, is it, is it just, well, whenever I happen to be able to fill it in? He wasted no time and he spared no expense. And then I, I love verse 8. After he brought it, it says he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, some theologians think that this is a covenant meal. 
and that God is, is eating with Abraham. He's just made a covenant about circumcision. Abraham has performed circumcision, and now they're eating, and they align that with Exodus chapter 20 and the covenant of the Ten Commandments, and then the elders go up, and they eat with God, and how with Jesus, we have a new covenant with him, and we eat a meal, but Abraham doesn't, he's not eating. And so they're, they're there may be some meal imagery here that's significant, but I think what's significant is that Abraham is still, he's like, I'm, I'm ready to go. What else do you need? I'm standing. I'm ready. I'm, he, he has a posture of a servant. Sometimes we honor the Lord by bowing, and sometimes we honor the Lord by running around, and sometimes we honor the Lord by just standing and being ready. What's next, Lord? This is how Abram responded to God's presence. This is how we need to respond to his presence as well. So then this is the, the dinner conversation. I think this is why the Lord has appeared. Again, this is days, maybe weeks apart but between the conversation about circumcision and, and this conversation. Verse 9, they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So they're they're having their meal out over here. They're, they're, They're sharing the meal. And they're right in front of the tent. So Sarah is just, it's a lot easier to eavesdrop when you have tents. And uh, so she's just right, right back here, just kind of listening in at the door of the tent. And the omniscient God is like, oh, where's Sarah? <laughs> he knows she's there. He's come to remind her about the promise. This is all for her. And she thinks she's smarter than God. Like, he can't see through this. Like, whoa, whoa, peekaboo. No. So God tells Abraham the very same things that that he told him just a couple of weeks ago. Not because Abraham needed to hear it again, because he wanted to make sure that Sarah heard it and heard it from the Lord. So Sarah was listening, verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Okay, we get it. They're old. They're advanced in years. They're 99 at this point. The promise was made when they were, sorry, Abraham's 99. Sarah's about 90. They, they were given this promise of a son 25 years earlier. They've been waiting all of this time. It says that the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. The Hebrew there is literally cycle. She's, she's, she's been through menopause. She's unable to, to bear a child, biologically speaking. Verse 12, so Sarah there behind the tent laughed to herself. Laugh to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Like, can, any, can anything good happen? It's, it's too late. It's been too long. So she laughs to herself. She's, she's doubting. 
which is pretty reasonable. There is reasonable doubt here. But how, how should we respond to God's promise? So we've, we've looked at responding to God's presence. We've got to honor Him and we've got to trust and we've got to serve Him. But, but now I want to talk about responding to God's promise. And the way that we respond to God's promise is to trust Him. To trust Him. Again, the all-powerful, miracle-working God has come near to Sarah. As near to Sarah as on the other side of the tent. He's right there. And he's speaking, not for Abraham's benefit, but for her benefit. And Sarah laughs. Now, before we jump all over Sarah, look back to Genesis chapter 17. And verse 17, one, one chapter back, in chapter 17, verse 17, it says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So Sarah's just doing what Abraham did. She can't believe it. It's too incredible. It's too unbelievable. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Again, God knows that Sarah could hear all of this. Then he says this absolutely important statement in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The God who spoke creation into existence. The God who promised a blessing on Adam and Eve and on Noah and on Abraham. He is going to fulfill what he has promised. Nothing is too hard for him. At the appointed time, verse 14, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Why do we lie? We, we don't lie because it's fun. <laughs> we don't lie for recreation. We lie when we're afraid. And Sarah here is, is afraid that, oh my goodness, God, this, 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 these visitors... God himself knows even what I'm thinking. I laughed to myself. She didn't laugh out loud. She laughed to herself. But as Brute Waltke said, that the same God who could read her thoughts can also open her womb. That he is a miracle-working God. And that nothing is too hard for him. Verse 15, Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, or she was afraid, and then I love this. He said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> I just love that. No, but you did. You ever have a conversation like, no, no, but yeah, yeah, yes. No, no, but you did. That, that is what, and God says he's not having it. No, but you did laugh. And God gets the last laugh because a son is going to be born, and the son's name is Isaac. 
And Isaac means laughter. Because nothing is too hard for God. It seems so difficult that Abraham laughed in Genesis 17. It's so difficult that, that Sarah laughed in Genesis 18. And God's laughing at both of them saying, this isn't even hard for me. There's no degrees of difficulty for the divine Lord. Nothing is too hard. So God gets the last laugh. And, and what, what do we see here? We see Sarah receiving an angelic announcement of a long-promised son waiting 25 years. An unexpected and miraculous birth. And God says, is, is anything too hard? Does this sound at all familiar? You know, God God's works in patterns. And, and it, it's called typology. Just like, you know, when, you're, when your aunt, you know, starts t- telling the same story or your, your, your brother has the, s- these similar tendencies, what do you say? You say, that's typical, right? It's like, it's, like a, it's like a key on a keyboard or a typewriter. It's always the same. God works through typology. He does things in a typical way. It follows a pattern. Can anyone think of an angelic announcement about a long-promised son, an unexpected and miraculous birth, and is anything too hard? It's 43 days away from our celebration of it. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1, And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so with Sarah and with Mary, we have an angelic announcement. We'll go to the next slide. We have an angelic announcement. We have a long-promised son. Sarah had been waiting 25 years. Mary represents the, the, the entire human race that has been waiting since Genesis chapter 3 for the offspring. This is a very long-awaited son. And there is an unexpected and miraculous birth. For one, it's post-menopause. That's pretty impossible. For the other, it's pre-intercourse. That's very impossible as well. And just like God told Sarah, is anything too hard? The angel told Mary, nothing will be impossible. But there's one other parallel in these stories. The the chapter in Genesis that I am most anxious about preaching on is Genesis chapter 22. Where this long-awaited son who came by angelic announcement 
is walking up a a hill carrying wood with his father, Uh, this long-awaited promised son is expected to be sacrificed. And even though I know how it ends, I just can't wait to get to the end of that sermon. I have no idea what I'm going to say for the first 35 minutes. Because I don't know, I, I can't even fathom what that was like for Abraham. But there's a, there's a parallel to those stories, isn't there? The, the, this angelic announcement about a long-awaited son who was born miraculously. Isaac is, is brought to the point of sacrifice, but Abraham doesn't have to follow through. But with Mary's child, that son carries wood up a hill. And the father follows through. And he suffers. And he dies, and the weight and the punishment for all sin, for Adam and Eve's sin, for Abraham and Sarah's sin, for Ted's sin and your sin and your sin is all put on Jesus Christ. And because nothing is too hard for the Lord, Jesus bears all of that sin, dies, breathes his last, says it is finished, is buried, and then three days later rises from the dead. And so, loved ones, the way to respond to God's presence is to, is to honor him and to be ready to serve him. And the way to respond to God's promise is to trust him. God has promised that whoever believes in his son, Jesus Christ, should not perish but have eternal life. If you are here today and you have not trusted in that promise, today is the day of salvation for you. Don't delay. Don't drag your feet Place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And as Sarah, it was hard for her to look forward to the fulfillment of the promise. As Mary and all of the people that Mary represents in that conversation with the angel, it was difficult for all those generations to to trust in the promise of Christ's coming, and now we are trusting in the promise of Christ's return. So loved ones, do not be carried away by the wave. Do not be drowned by the wave. Stand on the rock. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know sometimes it seems impossible when we look at the news or we look at what's happening around us. But Christ came once in a miraculous and unexpected way. And Christ is going to, even though there's lots of predictions, Christ is still going to come in a miraculous and an unexpected way. And we got to trust him. And we got to stand on that rock. So let's pray for God's help to be able to do that now. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to be drawing near to you. You are a God who comes close. You have come close to Abraham and Sarah. You have come close to us. And God, I I pray that we would be found faithful in, in honoring you and in serving you, Lord, and also in trusting you. 
And so, God, we, we pray for your help and for your grace. Lord, we pray for those people who find themselves in situations right now where, where they're like Sarah. They, they can't help but laugh to themselves because of the, the impossible situation in which they, they see themselves in personally or, or they see what's happening in our culture. God, I pray that you would help us to grow in faith. Thank you that you have promised not to break a bruised reed, not to snuff out a smoldering wick, And so, God, we come to you in our weakness. We come to you as we are, wanting to trust in you and trust in your promises. And so, God, we we pray for your help. We thank you that you come near. In Jesus' name, amen.